All right, you can be seated. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, youth, if you're heading to youth ministry, feel free to do that now. I'm so excited for week two of this sermon called Garden. Uh, I'm using a handheld mic this week instead of the, the wireless one because I have so much to talk about that I'm afraid the cordless one will just die and I need the handheld one. We need an extra battery this week. I got hours and hours and hours. Uh, I, I'm really honestly super excited about this sermon. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 4. Last week we brought up this idea of a garden. And we talked about how God wants to partner with humanity to create a garden, grow a garden. And what's interesting about Genesis is in all of the other books written in the same time frame, the same historical time, all of the books written in that region, Genesis is the only book where the God works with the people he creates. All other books written in that time frame are all written about a God who is too tired from creation, so he creates servants to serve him and to do everything for him while he, while he relaxes and spends the rest of his time just having them bring him stuff. Genesis is about a God who creates, he creates people, then he rests them, and he blesses them, and then he works in partnership with them. Now, a lot of times people will say, how can you believe the Bible? How can you believe, you know, why do you believe the Bible? Why? That right there is enough for me to fully investigate more into the creation account because it is the only one written with a God who works with us instead of having us work for him. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of, uh, the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now notice verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden where in Eden and in the east, there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God had made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. If you like to circle things, I always recommend that you write notes. Uh, I'm a big fan of writing things. We have our worship guides. You're definitely encouraged to use those. But I would also notice that the Bible says that the trees are pleasant to the sight, and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden. Why? To water the garden. There divided and became four rivers. The name of the first, I promise you, I am going to slaughter these names, is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. The dallium and onyx stones are there also. Now, again, pause a moment and read that and ask yourself, why is, it, why is the Bible saying that? There is a reason, I promise. The name of the second river is the Gihon. 
It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which we know today, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So we last week talked about this idea that God wants to work with us to plant a garden. And we talked about how we should be people who plant gardens everywhere we go. We brought up this idea that every person we encounter and every place we go, we should make it a personal goal to plant a garden in them. Why? Because the Bible literally from the beginning all the way to the end and almost every verse in between is all about a garden. The Bible is very much a story of a garden. And so we talked about that and we said, well, you, what about if the times are hard? And then we talked about how Adam had to leave the garden and go out into the world, which was not a garden. And yet he still was called in that time, even when he wasn't in that same space, to create a garden everywhere he went. And so we said, yes, things can get really difficult. Yes, people can be really tough. Yes, times can be exceedingly difficult. And yet we can still plant a garden everywhere we go with everyone we meet, which brings us to this week, which is, well, okay, that's motivating. How? Like, how do you actually do this? I want to point out a couple of things. Number one, Eden means delight. So Eden means delight, and Adam actually means man. So the idea of Adam and Eve is that they are the beginning of man. There was a garden in Eden, and if you paid attention, Eden is a part of the world, and then the garden is a part of Eden. There is a river that flows out of the garden, out of the middle of it. Now, that is very important. I promise you we're going to get this very practical in a minute, but you need to hang in here because this is very important why there's a river. Yet another reason why I believe the Bible is true is because in the Garden of Eden, there is a river that flows out of the middle. David talks about how someday there's going to be a river that will flow from the middle of the holy city and it will bring life. The prophets talk about this idea that someday there's going to be a river that flows through the middle and it's going to bring life. Even if you look at Moses, what did Moses do? He, he went through the middle of a lake, right? There's this concept of something through the middle bringing life. Jesus dies on a cross and he's stabbed in his side in the middle and what happens? Blood and water, the Bible specifically says both, flow out of his side in the middle. Then in, in Revelation, what happens? There is a river in the middle of the new holy city and it brings life. Again, there is no man alive who could come up with this, this thread of a garden and use authors from over 1,600 years from all different walks of life and have them all contain that same thread so that if you pull it in Genesis, it ends in Revelation. That is only divinely inspired by a God who calls us and inspires us to do things. That is not possible in humanity. It's just not. But the river flows out of the middle, brings life to the rest of the world, and it also brings rest to the rest of the world. And that word rest is where we get the word Noah, which is so interesting. Noah found rest in the ark, surrounded by water. I mean, there's so much to this story. But he's to, Adam is to grow a garden and bring order and rest to the chaos that is outside of the garden. So there's life found in the middle of a garden, which is this river, and they need this, this because everywhere water goes, life follows. Uh, we went to the 
the Amazon, I went to the Amazon last October, and everybody was trying to live as close to the river as they possibly could. Because wherever the water was, there was life. Everywhere who was far away from the water had a less of a chance of finding life and less of a chance of living. Wherever water goes, life follows. And so when we think of that, when we think of water bringing life and we understand that it's our job to bring life to people, here is where we encounter two very different trains of thinking. If you are told in America today, well, we need you to bring life to everyone you encounter, you're going to go about it one of two ways. If you're fully bought into American factory culture, you're going to say what product or what service can I make and replicate that will bring life to people? What do people need in order to get life? And how do I make that so that I can profit off of them? How do I replicate it so I can profit even more off of them? And this is the Americanized philosophy. It is everything in life is about a product or about a service. But God brought and made a garden. And I think the reason we have so much so much anxiety in our world today, I think the reason we have so many different uh, it, things going on in our hearts today is because we can't reconcile the garden and a factory. See, we want life, but we want it in 10 seconds like we get it at McDonald's. We want life, but we want it our way because Burger King told us that's how we should have it. We want life, but we want it in 37 seconds in Starbucks or else we're impatient and angry. We want life, but we don't want to wait at all. And the reason we have so many things, so many frustrations and struggles is you can't find life in a factory. You can only find products and services in a factory. Yet we have fully bought into an assembly line mentality here in America, even in churches, even in families, even in homes. Think about what we do at dinner. We can't wait longer than it takes to hit the one button on the microwave to eat a dinner together. The average family spends 12 minutes around the table together. We have fully immersed ourselves in this. And what unfortunately has happened is so many churches and Christians have said, we don't want culture to infiltrate us. But we thought that culture meant like which clothes you wore or which songs you listened to or which things you, but really culture is all about the mentality of where you live. And our culture, particularly now where there's factories going up left and right, you can't buy land around here because they're all getting built up, is an assembly line culture. We have fully bought in to give me a product or provide me a service, and if you don't, I'll find someone or somewhere who does. So when it comes to bringing life, America says, build me an assembly line and provide products and service, but God says to plant a garden. So if we're going to plant a garden in people, and if we're going to plant a garden in our surroundings, if we're going to plant a garden in our family, if we're going to plant a garden in our church, we've got to first of all receive the life that we intend to give to people. And yes, this can mean that we should receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I firmly believe that that is what the Bible means by receiving life. Yes, but also on a daily practical level, 
It is receiving life from the Father who saved us, rescued us, ransomed us, and wants a relationship with us, so much so that he builds things around us for our life to pour life into us. And before we pour life into everyone else around us, we need to receive life daily. So look at what Genesis chapter 2 says in verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. If we want to give life to our families, our children, our spouses, our, our friends, our co-workers, we have to receive life. How do we do this? Uh, this is something, I thought about making this its own sermon, but I think it goes uh, really well with what we're talking about. I think we need to begin to learn to live the art of now. We need to have the art of now. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And I want you to really notice, observe, and wonder at what's being said in here. Genesis 2, 9. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight now think about how God works. He did not have to do that. He could have just said, here's food. I don't care what it looks like because I'm providing you a product and that food is going to make you happy. So just eat that and be happy with it. But God who cares about people and works with people made trees that are beautiful. Trees that are pleasant to the sight and they are good for food. How often do we thank God that food is good? I mean, man, I ate a steak on Friday night. I think it was like two and a half pounds. It was soaked in butter, and it was so good. God is good. He makes food good for us. I had a salad last night to make up for the steak the night before. The salad was so good. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And unfortunately, what happens in our product-driven society is Christians read this chapter, and that's the only verse in the entire chapter they care about. And we miss so much. Look at verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden. Why? To water the garden. And it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. And look at what it says. It's the one that flows around the land of Havilah where there is gold. Have you ever considered why God put that in there? Like I think a lot of us think, I don't know why that's in there. I'm going to go find that river and make me some gold. What God is saying to us is notice the garden. Notice it. Look at where I place them. Look at what I put around them. Look at the beauty and the value of the place that I dropped them into the middle of. The gold of that land is good. Again, the authors could have just said it's gold and that's all. It's good gold. There is medallium, there is onyx stones. So if we want to live and receive life and live the art of now, we have to first of all notice the life that's around us. We have to notice the life around. You know there is an art to noticing? There's an art to noticing. Men, when's the last time you truly noticed your wife? Like truly noticed her? When's the last time your wife went somewhere and you noticed her earring? There's an art to noticing. Ladies, when is the last time you noticed that your husband worked hard more than you noticed that he left his socks on the floor? There is an art to noticing. When is the last time you noticed the laughs before you noticed the mess that the kids left? 
there is an art to noticing. When is the last time you noticed the beauty of where you are? This is, this is why Northern Nights is this idea that's so important to me. Think about what we celebrate in October. We, we celebrate sexuality, witchcraft, terror, murder. That's what we celebrate. When's the last time you celebrated a s'more? I mean, truly ate a s'more and thought, my goodness, God is good. Right? Like, s'mores are amazing if you notice them. When's the last time you noticed maple syrup? Maple syrup is so good. Think about what a tree has to do in order to provide maple syrup. It's got to survive frost. It's got to survive humans. It's got to be able to avoid us running over it in cars or stomping on it. It's got to survive the wind. It's got to survive the cold. It's got to survive the heat. It's got to live long enough to have this syrup come pouring out of it that we can taste and realize, man, on a whole grain pancake, this is about as close to heaven as we're going to get. When's the last time you worked on the art of noticing, truly noticing? When's the last time you noticed the people around you in your community? As opposed to noticing something else. When's the last time you noticed in Connect Center the laughs? When's the last time someone a while ago, a year ago, more, they left? They came and visited, they came two weeks, and they said, well, all I saw when I came in was there was a girl up front that had tattoos. There's a guy that gave me a donut that had a tattoo. There's a guy in the back, his whole arm was full of tattoos, and he's back there working on the things, and you wore Nikes. When's the last time you noticed the souls? The souls of the people. There's an art to noticing. When's the last time you noticed the people around you? You noticed the good about them. You notice the lovely things about them. I want Northern Nights to be a thing where we celebrate nice fall evenings. We celebrate candy because candy's good. We celebrate chocolate because chocolate's good. We celebrate family. We celebrate movies. We celebrate bonfires. We celebrate football. We celebrate the things that God puts into our life that are good and we notice them. And we take one night out of the year to just notice the good. So after we notice, we begin to observe. After you've noticed what's good in your spouse, after you've noticed what's good in your friends, after you've noticed what's good in those around you, observe them. You know what your child doesn't need? Another toy. Your child needs you to truly observe the drawing they painted you. To truly get down on your knees and point out the good in the things that they colored for you. They don't need another screen. They don't need, your child does not need its own phone at five or six. They need you to look at the drawings and the things they made for you. They need you to get down on your knees and notice and observe a caterpillar with them. There's an art to observing, to truly studying. There's an art to truly studying your spouse and getting to realize that the person you married is now a different person and so you get a whole new opportunity to observe them, study them, know them, understand them, connect with them. There's an art 
So if we want to receive life, we have to notice, we have to observe, and we have to just wonder. Think about what it said in Genesis 2. There's rivers, there's trees, there's gold. You know what that reminds me of? Heaven. He's describing exactly what Revelation describes. Revelation says there's a place where there's rivers and there's trees and the streets are made out of gold. And that gold, by the way, is really clear and really beautiful. And we will worship and wonder at our Savior when we arrive there. So let's start now. Let's start now. Let's not wait till we arrive in heaven to fall down on our knees and wonder at our creator. This morning I drove, I, I drove past the church, went out to, uh, to Alum, and I just sat at the edge of the riverbank and noticed the trees were starting to come to, to change colors, and I wondered and praised God for it. We don't have to wait for heaven to wonder at him. You don't have to wait for heaven to praise God for the person he gave you. Somebody said yes to you guys. They said, yes, it's a miracle. We can wonder at him. And as a family, we can wonder and worship him. And when we do this, we bring life in. We bring life in. We overflow with life. And then and only then do we begin to pour life out into those around us and truly create a garden in those. Unfortunately, what we do is we do the opposite. God called us to bring life into the chaos around us, and we instead bring the chaos into our life and our community. I truly believe this. You and I were not created to bear the burden of knowing every problem that occurred in the entire world yesterday. You and I were not created to bear the weight of knowing every natural disaster that happens around the world every time it happens. It is too much for our souls. I truly believe that you and I were not created to bear the weight of knowing every bad thing that happened in Ohio, America, and the world today. Because there is so much chaos in the world around us that we need to notice life. So we can bring life to the chaos rather than the chaos to our life. But what we have done is we have used social media, we've used the, mu the news, we've used TikTok, we've used Instagram to show us all the chaos happening around us constantly. And it's no wonder we are overwhelmed. Because we weren't created. Adam and Eve were created for a very specific place, a garden in the east of Eden. And God didn't tell them, oh, down there at that polar ice cap today, a seal died. He didn't tell them that. He said, Bring life into the garden where you are. Don't bring the chaos into the community. Don't bring it into your life. Pour life out. You were created to bring life into the chaos, not the chaos into your life. We bring life in. We notice, observe, and wonder at good things so that we can take life and then pour it into the people who live around us. How? We focus on people over products. We focus on people over products. This requires an intentional focus on people. I was talking to Amanda about this and, and Dan last Sunday. Um, we were having like this, this great talk about this idea of a garden. 
And Amanda said, you know what I realized? She just got her coffee truck fully licensed, fully inspected. It is now like a fully legal moving coffee truck, and she's able to go to places. And she said, I can bring life to people, not through the coffee I make, but if I just talk to people for two minutes, every customer for two minutes, I notice that I give them so much more life than if I just hand them a cup with some coffee. And we talked about that because you know what happens everywhere we go? You talk to a screen, and then you pull up and you pay with a device, and someone hands you a product, and they don't notice you, and you don't notice them, and there's no focus on people. Each person that we intentionally focus on gives them life, thus a garden that lives in a world where they just give you a product and don't even make eye contact with you. I was in another state with some pastors. We walked into a store. There was like six of us, and a couple of them uh, were loaded. And so uh, we were walking into this store, and there was a, an employee, and she was on a phone. I mean, she was the only employee in the whole store. We were walking around for about seven minutes. She had her head down, and Austin she looked up and said, sup, and went right back to work. You know what that is? That's a focus on, I just need to give you the product that's here. All I need to do is provide a service. I don't really care about you. I am telling you that if you and I focus on people in a world that only focuses on products, you will create a garden in every person you make eye contact with. You can create a garden in Kroger by simply making eye contact and saying thank you. Because the only people that talk to those poor kids that work at Kroger are the ones that are mad that their red light's flashing above their thing. So when you say, hey, thank you, and you make eye contact and you walk out, do you know what you just did? You created a garden in their life by intentionally focusing on them. In a world where no one does this, you can change lives simply through thank you. So I encourage everyone, if you own a business, it's great to serve, it's great to provide a product, it's great to have a service, but let's start businesses that focus on people. Let's start businesses that don't focus on targeting our children and instead it focuses on providing good things for our children. We can create gardens by focusing also through kind words. I have a lot of verses on kind words. I'm going to read them all to you. Try to keep up. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Now think about that. We're always like, man, what happened to the garden? Your words can create it. But... Perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul. Health to the body. You can bring, bring health to people through kind words. Proverbs 18, 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. Fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Proverbs 18, 20. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. James 3, 10 through 12, from the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring, remember there is a spring that turns into a river in, in Genesis. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives 
or a grapevine produce fruit, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And then Proverbs eleven seventeen gives us an extra bonus when we use kind words. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. You want to know how to create a garden in people's lives? Speak kindly to them in a world that only speaks negatively. Think about what your kids hear at school. They only hear bad. So every time you have an opportunity, you speak kindly to them and it builds life. Thirdly, we can create a garden by working with excellence. Working with excellence. This is lost in today's world where it's just a cheeseburger in a plastic bag. Tim McGraw calls it a 99-cent heart attack. When we work with excellence, we create gardens. When we build the best we can possibly build. When the designs we design are the best we can possibly design. When we make stores and open and create stores that provide quality goods. When we have companies that bring life to people through art. When we have food that brings life to those who eat it and to those who, serve, who provide it. Think about a, a single mom having to work 13 hours a day simply so she can provide simple life to her family. We need restaurants who say, if you work for us, we're taking care of you. That's how we bring gardens to people. We, uh, we can have clothing stores that provide good quality clothes. We can, have, we can have car shops that understand that, hey, we're not building a car part because so, we know it'll break at this so we can make another profit later on. But instead, we build the best car parts we can build. When we work with excellence, it brings life to people. Fourthly, we can give grace to each other. We can give grace to each other. In assembly line language, grace is non-existent. It's non-existent. In an assembly line, if it doesn't provide the service or product, we just throw it out. Think about what we've done in church. Don't provide the product for me, I'm throwing you out. Don't give me the service I want, I'm throwing you out. I'm not even going to tell you, I'm just going to throw you out. We've done this because we become so consumed and overrun by assembly line mentality that unless I preach the best sermon you've heard that week, you go to another place. Unless you say amen louder than somebody else, I go to another place. And we have churches, we have pastors, we have people who continually are just moving place to place to place simply because we are only looking for a product. Have, have the pastor fly in on a zip line, I'll be there. Don't have him fly on in a zip line, I'll be there. Have a blue floor, I'm there. Don't have a blue floor, I'm there. Preach for an hour, I'm there. Only preach for 30 minutes, I'm there. Preach a funny story, I'm there. Don't do that, I'm not there. We have turned churches into assembly lines. If you don't give me the exact thing I need, I'm out. We've turned people into assembly lines. We've even done this with our families. We've done this with dating. We've done this with our children. We've done this with our spouses. Give me the product I need or I'll go find someone who can is the overriding American idea of marriage. Think about that. Not let me notice and observe and wonder at how God made you and how beautiful you are and how wonderful you are and what you do. Make me laugh or I'm out. Make me feel good or I'm out. Give me pretty children or I'm out. This is what we've done when we've bought into the assembly line mentality and we do it in everything. 
have friends who talk about church in, in an assembly line mentality. If I can get my church to 100, I can go pastor a church of 400. If I can pastor a church of 400, I can get to a 700 member. And then I'll leave that and get to one that's 1,000. And then, Stephen Furtick. And I want to say to them, those are real human beings. They are souls. Not products, not services. But this is what we've done. And we do this on purpose now. Churches, we, you have a Christmas Eve service, so we'll have one the day before, so you come to ours first, so that you like what we brought in a camel and they only brought in a goat. You see the camel and so, hey, we're there. That is assembly line mentality. Rather than looking around and noticing and observing and wondering and providing grace, for those who God put us in community with. Rather than looking for a product, ask yourself, who in the room needs grace today? Think about a garden for a minute. I know I'm going long. Trust me, this is the abbreviated version. Trust me. In a garden, you don't throw corn out because it's not as tall as the other corn. You wait, you give it grace, and eventually it produces. And what happens in a garden after it's done? You put that back into the soil. You put the, the, the corn back into the soil. You put the things back in. You know the children of Israel only worked gardens for six years, and then every seventh year they completely let their land completely rest? That's grace to the land. It's grace to the land. When's the last time you gave grace to your spouse and said, look, I, I notice how hard you're working. I observe how much you care. I wonder at how God gave you to me. Take a rest. Take a break. Pause for a minute. I can handle the dishes. I got it. I can watch the kids. I got it. I can run after the dog. I got it. Unless you got a brand new puppy like we have, and that thing is great. Word. It's, whew. We need to provide grace to each other. And the reason grace is non-existent in America is we've completely bought into an assembly line mentality. So what we've said in churches is, have better donuts than the next church. Have better coffee than the next church, or I'm out. You won't know I'm out until I talk about it on social media. There's no grace in an assembly line. In an assembly line, if my coffee maker or my car doesn't do what I want it to do, I scrap it and start all over with something else. In a garden, if it doesn't do what I want it to do, I give it grace. Because you know that a tomato, when, it, when it's smashed and broken, when it's plant, the leaves are broken, they can fall into the ground and start brand new tomato plants. But only if you give that tomato grace and you don't throw it out. You let it stay in the soil and draw life from the other soil. You know what happens in a forest when a tree falls down? This is nuts. I, this is nuts. When a tree falls down in the forest, when a man comes in with a chainsaw, cuts it off, and it falls down, you know every other tree in the forest begins to pour life into the, tr the stump of the tree that's been cut down. And out of stumps that have been cut down grow new trees. Why? Because the trees understand grace. And in America, we say, oh, you fell down? You, you sinned? You're out. 
You got knocked down, you're out. You don't look like me, you're out. You don't vote like me, we got an election coming, hello, you're out. You don't think like me, you're out. There's no grace in America because we've bought into an assembly line product-driven culture. So if we are people who provide grace to each other, we build life into each other, we build gardens into each other. Lastly, we give hope to each other. You want to plant a garden in someone? Give them hope. Hope is garden language. You know why flowers bloom? Because they're hoping the sunshine and the water will hit them. You know, trees produce fruit because they're hoping that it will fall to the ground and produce new trees. You know that every time the grass grows, it's hoping that the sun and the water will help give it life. Everything in your garden grows because of hope. People grow because of hope. 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Hope is garden language. Despair is assembly line. You don't find much hope in a factory. I worked in a factory, not a lot of hope flying around in there. A lot of angry people all mad at their bosses. A lot of bosses all mad at their employees because they didn't work hard enough. Not a lot of hope in FedEx, I'll just tell you. You know where I see hope every day? In a garden. I was at Cam's house this week. They had some, some pumpkins growing out of gravel. Gravel. You know what that is? That's hope. It's hope. It's hope that someday that gravel becomes dirt and that pumpkin is a part of contributing to a great pumpkin patch. That's what that is. Plants grow because of hope, and so do you and I. We are more intricately connected to the garden than we would ever believe. So when we speak hope into each other, we build each other up. When your employees know you as the one who gives them hope, you've created a garden. When your coworkers know, know you as the one who gives hope when everyone else gives negativity, you've created a garden. When your kids at school know you as the one who hopes for a brighter future for them, you've created a garden in a second grader. When no one else gives them hope, you have done it. You have created life. This is why so many people have achieved what they have achieved because one person when they were a child said, you know what, I think you can really accomplish something. That's hope creating a garden. Speak hope into your children. Speak hope into your spouse. Speak hope into your church. Speak hope into your friends. Speak hope into your coworkers. Always, always, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that's found in you. Worship team, you guys can come up here. Hope is entirely garden language. Despair, negativity, bitterness, these are assembly line languages. This is why I notice when I hear people talk, I know. You know if they bought into an assembly line product-driven life or not? Because for those who have done it, there's no hope in anything they say. There's no hope. Man, my Lions actually won a game and they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. That provides hope. We could clap for that. That provides hope. You know what I found myself doing when they were kneeling? Victory formation. I'm like, watch them fumble it and lose the game. No hope in that. No hope in that. 
Because it's real. We can provide hope in people. When's the last time you noticed your spouse? Like really noticed, observed, wondered, gave grace to your spouse, and provided them with hope. Said, yeah, it's true. We do spend on average $700 a month more than we did two years ago. That's true. That's the American, that's just where we are now. But I have hope for a better day. I have hope for a better place. And when I see people I love, listen, when I get in here and I see you all and I love you and I'm so thankful for you, it brings me hope. This is why when we start to lose hope, we shouldn't stop going to church. We should start going to church so that people can bring hope into us because someday they'll need hope. And so we pour life into them when they need it. And they pour hope into us when we need it. We need to be people who speak hope everywhere we go. Hope everywhere. Well, I got no hope. Well, the Bible says in Revelation, there is a garden. Jesus himself is the life. And in that garden, there's a river. Golden stream. All of our loved ones gather around. We worship. We celebrate. He's so full of light and life that everything he speaks brings beauty to everything around him. You know, a lot of uh, Jewish scholars believe that God created the world by singing. When he sang, his voice created beauty in everything. And that's why there was so much beauty, because just by his voice, beauty grew. The Bible says your voice is like a tree of life. It can bring hope. It can bring grace. It can notice. It can observe. And it can wonder with each other and with each other. And our hope is found in Jesus Christ. Yeah, times can get tough. Yeah, things, <laughs> the more I read Revelation now, the more I'm like, oh. <laughs> but you know what I see at the end of Revelation? Hope. I even see in Revelation, I think it's 16, where all the people who are martyred for Christ, even those who are killed for him, he gives them special robes. And you see even those who are murdered for his name singing with hope. is hope. Hope is a person named Jesus Christ. And he returns to this earth and creates a garden and works with us in partnership. And we celebrate and wonder and marvel at that for the rest of our lives. I'm going to ask you all to stand to your feet right now.